0: Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. The the Bible reading today is, is from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought a jar, an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, said Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Today we, we start in a new series entitled Parables Jesus Told. Now a parable... It's simply a story. It's a story, but it's not just a a story. It's a a pointed story. It's a story that that ends up pointing its finger at you. It starts off like an innocent-sounding story that draws the listener in, and the listener identifies with one of the characters, and then all of a sudden there's this twist, and the story ends up pointing its finger at you. And you'll see how this happens where Jesus tells the parable of the two debtors in Luke chapter 7 and verses 36 to 50. But first, in order to really understand this parable, we need to understand the context. We need to understand the setting. And the the scene is set in, in verses 36 all the way through to 38. And it starts off in verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So a Pharisee, who we later discover is called Simon, has invited Jesus over for dinner as the guest of honor. Now, Simon is a Pharisee. That's important. A a Pharisee, or the Pharisees, were a very strict Jewish sect. They were the religious elite, And the word Pharisee literally means separate ones. They believed they needed to remain separate from everyone else, otherwise they might become contaminated with other people's sin. And so they had a whole lot of rules about who you can hang out with and who you can't. They had certain, there were certain people that you simply couldn't hang out with. Uh, and you definitely couldn't speak to them and you couldn't touch them. They were untouchable because otherwise you might become contaminated with their sin. And this Pharisee, Simon, has invited this new young rabbi in town, Jesus, over for a dinner party. Now, the, the dinner party would have been a long affair. It, it, was, uh, just a, it was more about discussion and conversation as it was about eating the food. And it was an opportunity for Simon and the other Pharisees to have a theological discussion with this new rabbi who's coming to town. And of course, no women were invited or allowed. This was men only. And further, to to understand this, we were told that they were reclining at the table. So this is a a dinner party. They're all reclining around the table. That's the scene. The scene is a dinner party. Now, we shouldn't think of a dinner party like our kind of dinner party. Their dinner party would have had a table much lower to the ground. There would have been cushions all the way around the table where people would lie on the cushions, leaning on one arm and using the other arm to eat the food. They they would obviously be facing the table and their feet would be facing away from the table, far away from the table because within that culture, feet were considered to be offensive and unclean. So you would have it far away from the table. And you couldn't just sit wherever you liked. Everyone would sit in order of rank. Yeah, everyone would know their place. You had to sit in your place. Everyone would know their social standing. And then behind the guests, behind the feet, that's where the servants would stand. Now, within that Middle Eastern culture, at a dinner party like this, the doors and the windows would always be left wide open so that anyone from the village could wander in and stand behind the servants and listen in to the conversation of the guests at the table. In that Middle Eastern culture, they, they don't value privacy like we do. Okay, everything is done publicly. So it's a very public affair with people wandering in and, and able to listen to hear what's going on. And this is, the, this is the setting, this is the scene. But even more so, we need to understand some of the, the the traditional roles of a host at a Middle Eastern uh, dinner party, some of the traditional roles of hosts, the host would be expected to greet their guest with a kiss. And if it was an equal, you would give the guest a kiss on the cheek. If the guest was your superior, such as a rabbi or a prophet, if it was your superior, you would kiss their hand as a way of showing that you're not worthy to kiss their cheek. Secondly, you would provide some olive oil for the guest to be able to anoint their head. It's kind of like we would sometimes freshen up. It's an ability just to freshen up. Thirdly, you would get your servants to wash the guest's feet. So, of course, you know, this, as, as the, the guests arrived, they would take off their sandals, they'd come to the table, they're reclining, their head is facing the table, the feet are facing the servant. So it was quite easy for the servants to take a bowl of water and a towel and wash the guests' feet. And, of course, in those days, they wore open sandals, the roads were very dusty, so this was a very practical service. At the very least... The host would provide a bowl of water and a towel for the guests to be able to wash their own feet. That would be at the very least. Failure to perform any of these acts was considered a major insult. If you did not perform any of these acts, this was a major insult. And what we discover in verses 44 to 46 was that Simon failed to do these. At best, that implies that Simon believes Jesus is his inferior. At best, he he thinks Jesus is so far down the social order that he doesn't have to perform these tasks for Jesus. At worst, it's a major insult. Everyone at the dinner party... That the other guests, the servants, and the uninvited guests know that this is a major insult. He has just snubbed Jesus publicly. But it does beg the question, why has Simon invited Jesus to his house? It's clearly not to honor Jesus, he's just publicly insulted Jesus. The most likely scenario is that Simon has heard Jesus' preaching and he doesn't like what he's heard. Jesus has been saying that God loves sinners, even prostitutes. Jesus has a bad reputation of hanging out with all the low-life and scum in town, and so Simon has invited Jesus to his house to publicly put Jesus in his place and to critique And to test the claim that other people are making that this man is a prophet. He's there to critically examine Jesus' credentials. Hoping to find and prove that he's a fraud. Is this how you relate to Jesus? Is this how you come to Jesus thinking he's your inferior? Publicly insulting him? Critically examining him? Simon declares war on Jesus. Just imagine the tension within that room. How is Jesus going to respond? Well, he just seems to absorb the insult. Anyway, before anyone can say anything, everyone's attention is moved, trans- transferred to this uninvited guest, a woman. And we read in verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Suddenly we introduce introduced to the third main character, and she's a woman, and she's a sinful woman. Most commentators believe she was a prostitute who was plying her trade in the town. She was an, a well-known, immoral woman. She had a very bad reputation. Everyone knew she was a loose, dirty, immoral woman. She was damaged goods. So this begs another question. What on earth is she doing at Simon the Pharisee's house? I mean, a person with such a bad reputation, with such an immoral character, the last place on earth you want to be at is a religious meeting with a bunch of religious guys who are self-righteous, judgmental, holier than thou, who will judge you, will look down at you, will not talk to you, will not touch you in case they get contaminated with your sin. Why would she go to that place? What on earth is she doing there? The only possible explanation is that early in that day, Jesus, while Jesus was preaching, Jesus must have looked at her and said, God loves you. God forgives you. This is the exception that uh, Simon's taken to Jesus. But this is the first time this woman has ever received true love, true acceptance, and true forgiveness. And so she just has to respond by performing this this hugely symbolic act of love and devotion and gratitude. And she goes and gets her, her most expensive bottle of perfume, which she would have used to have used to perfume herself for her clients. But she no longer has any use for it. So she wants to take it and anoint Jesus with it as an expression of her love and her gratitude. Just imagine her courage. She goes back and she gets her most expensive bottle of, bottle of perfume. She then walks to Simon the Pharisee's house. She gets to the door. She walks through the door. She's standing behind the servant's feet. She's a well-known, immoral character, sinful. She, she's feeling nervous. She's feeling ashamed. She doesn't want to make eye contact. She doesn't know what people will say or do to her. She's in a room full of men. She's the only woman. And they're not just men. They're religious men. They're judgmental, self-righteous men. She's uninvited. She's a woman. That takes some nerve. I can just imagine the conversation slowly stopping as people suddenly realize she's there. Then all of a sudden there's dead silence. Awkward Suddenly she realizes and sees Simon insult Jesus. Didn't give him a kiss. His feet haven't been washed. Suddenly she forgets that she's in a room full of hostile religious men. And we read in verse 38, As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This wasn't pre-planned. Oh, oh, yes, she had pre-planned to anoint Jesus with the oil, but not wash his feet. She didn't have a, a water bowl. She didn't have a towel. So she washes his feet with her tears and her hair. Now, to let down your hair, as a woman, to let down your hair in the presence of men in the Middle Eastern culture is risque, okay? I mean, this was something you would only do in front of your husband. According to some rabbis, if a woman let down her hair in front of the presence of other men, this was liable for a divorce. This was seen to be just as bad as, as taking your top off. So this was a highly risky, risque thing to do. I can just imagine the shock of all the religious guys at the table when they saw that. And then she kissed him. She noticed that they hadn't greeted him with a kiss. So she kisses him. Not on the cheek as an equal. Not on the hand to show that he's a superior. But on his feet. And not once, but multiple times. We're told in verse 45 that that she just kept on kissing him. On the feet. And then lastly, she anoints Jesus. Not with cheap olive oil but with expensive perfume. Not on the head, but on the feet. Great sign of her humility and her devotion and her gratitude. And so you see, what she does is she actually compensates for Simon's insult. She's compensated for Simon's insult, but she's also expressed her love and her gratitude to Jesus. How is Simon going to respond? How is Simon going to respond to this great courage of this woman and this great expression of devotion? Is he going to be man enough to apologize and to thank this woman for compensating his rudeness? No way. That's not how religious people respond. We read in verse 39 when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. It's not about to apologize, is he? He's not here to apologize. He's here to offer a critique. Firstly, he's going to critique the woman's spiritual state. Secondly, he's going to critique Jesus' prophetic claim. You see, all he can see in front of him is an immoral woman embracing Jesus and defiling one of his guests. And he thinks this prophet, Jesus, isn't even perceptive enough to know who she is. And he totally misjudges what's going on in front of his very eyes. This isn't an embrace, a, a, a defiling embrace by an immoral woman, but this is an act of devotion by a forgiven woman. And Jesus not only knows all about this woman, he also knows what Simon is thinking and what's in Simon's heart. And so Jesus says to Simon in, in verse 40, he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now in Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern culture, that phrase was a warning to the person that I have something very blunt to say to you. If Jesus ever says that to you, run. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> Simon says, tell me, teacher, Interesting. he calls Jesus' teacher, rabbi. If he's worthy of the title, surely he's worthy of the honor that goes with it. Tell me, teacher. And it's at this point that Jesus tells his parable, that pointed story. And we read in verses 41 to 42. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Now, this is a great story because in Aramaic, the the language Jesus would have been speaking, they have the same word for debt and sin. Okay, same word for debt and sin. And so at this point, Simon immediately is identifying with the person who only owes 50. And Simon believes that the woman owes 500. And of course, Simon thinks, well, look how much I love God. I only have a very small debt. I only have very small sins. And and look at that woman over there. She doesn't love God at all. Look at her, her very big debt. Look at her huge sins. But Jesus continues in verse 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. You see what Jesus has done over there? He's put them on the same level. They both owe money. They both don't have the money to pay back. They both need forgiveness. They both receive the same forgiveness. They're on the same level. But then comes the twist, the the punch of the story. Jesus turns around and he looks straight at Simon and he says now which of them will love him more? Which of them will love him more? Simon is trapped. You see, he might have misjudged the human scene that was played out in front of him, but the the logic of this parable is inescapable. You see, See, Simon thinks, well, I clearly love love God more because I have small debts, And, 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 and the woman clearly loves God less because she has big debts, but now Jesus is asking him to reason out the logic of this parable, which is the very logic of the state of affairs, and the logic of the parable is inescapable. The woman loves him more, and Simon knows he's trapped, and so he he lamely comes up with this excuse. Oh, The best he can do is to say, I suppose, he says, he replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus gets, this is brilliant, isn't it? Jesus gets Simon to admit to himself that the woman loves God more than he does. He admits it himself. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. This time, you have judged correctly. I can imagine poor Simon's head must still be spinning. He's still trying to figure out how how that happens. (laughs) You see, the greatest love for God comes as a response to God's undeserved love and acceptance and forgiveness. That's what Jesus says in verse 44. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She has great love for God because she knows she's received this undeserved forgiveness of God. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Okay. Does this mean that because Simon has not been a very bad sinner... He is unable to love God more. I mean, does it doesn't mean that if we, if you, want to love God more, then you've got to commit more sins so you can receive more forgiveness so that you can love God more. I mean, it's possible to try and push it into that sort of logic, but you'll be totally misreading Jesus. Simon has not been forgiven little because he has fewer sins or smaller sins, like he thinks. Simon has been forgiven little because he has little awareness of his great sins. You see, Simon thinks, he thinks, uh, he does not think he needs forgiveness. Therefore, he is forgiven little. And therefore, he loves little. He does not think he needs forgiveness Therefore, he is forgiven little, and therefore he loves little. He lacks self-awareness. And so too often, we too lack self-awareness. We become self-righteous and judgmental because we aren't aware of our own sin in our life. We look down at others, we think we're better than others because we can't see the sin in our own life. Simon has just publicly insulted Jesus. He has a critical spirit against Jesus. He has a a judgmental spirit against this woman. He's a sexist. He is arrogant. He is proud. He is full of conceit. He he doesn't understand the true nature of God's love and forgiveness. He has some deep-seated issues of pride. But he's completely unaware of it. doesn't realize it. And therefore he's forgiven little. There's a lot we can learn from this passage. Firstly, Jesus affirms this woman's faith. Just imagine that. Jesus affirms this woman's faith and love in the presence of the religious elite. In the presence of the religious men. In, in a culture that is male-dominated. That, that is profound. That speaks volumes about the worth of a woman in the sight of God. Secondly, we learn a lot about the person of Jesus. In the parable, we know who the woman identifies with. We know who Simon identifies. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the moneylender. At the beginning of the, of the whole drama, Jesus is the one under scrutiny. Is he really a rabbi? Is he really a prophet? By the end, we don't only discover that he is a prophet, that he knows exactly who the woman is and he knows the heart of Simon, but we discover that he is the money lender. He is God's agent who offers forgiveness. And when we've been forgiveness, it's right and proper to express our thanks and our love to Jesus. The woman is praised when she responds to Jesus with love and, and gratitude for the forgiveness she's received from God. That speaks a lot about the person of Jesus. But the parable is essentially about Simon and Simon's response. How is Simon going to respond? The story ends open-ended. We're not told how Simon actually responds at the end. Does he gain self-awareness and become aware of his great need of forgiveness Does he turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness? Does he receive this undeserved forgiveness from God? And then does he respond with this extravagant love and devotion like the woman who anointed Jesus' feet did? We don't know. And how about you? Are you like a a Simon, unaware of, of your great need of forgiveness? Perhaps you think, well, well I'm, I'm, a, I'm a decent person. I'm a good person. I go to church all the time. Sure, I, I need a little forgiveness. Or, or perhaps you don't even believe in God, and you think, well, I'm a decent person. I'm sorted. I'm good. I don't need God. or I don't need forgiveness. I mean, you lot do. <laughs> you guys need a lot of forgiveness. But I'm sorted. I'm Okay. If that's you, then you need self-awareness. In fact, we all need self-awareness. I'll be honest, every time I read this passage in the Bible, guess who I identify with? Oh, I'm the woman, of course. But actually, I should probably identify with Simon. Because it's so easy to become self-righteous and judgmental, to look down on other people, to think you're better than others, to think, oh, I've just got little debts, little sins. You know, I'm very judgmental of religious people. (laughs) Look at them. They are so judgmental. Oops. What have I just done? I've just judged them. So I'm exactly the same as them. And it's so easy to turn a blind eye to our self-centeredness, to our selfishness, to our pride, to our greed. So easy to turn a blind eye to that. We all need forgiveness. So don't miss the opportunity to turn to God and receive His forgiveness, His his undeserved forgiveness. And when Jesus offers you this, this gift of forgiveness, this undeserved forgiveness, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond like Simon in a cool, detached kind of way as though you're interviewing Jesus, critiquing His credentials to see if He's good enough for you? Or are you going to respond like the woman, with extravagant, wholehearted, publicly expressing your love and devotion and gratitude? Are you going to respond merely with your head, like Simon? Or are you going to respond with tears, with extravagant love and devotion and gratitude, like this woman? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much that you, you, you forgive us, even though we, we haven't done anything to earn it or to deserve it, yet you forgive us and you love us. And Father, but we confess that so often we are like Simon. We think we only need little, little forgiveness. We only have little debts. And we, we have this massive blind spot to our own self-righteousness, our own greed, our own pride. And, Father, we have a blind spot to how we, we, we insult Jesus. We publicly insult him through, through the way we act and, our, uh, and the things we say. And so, Father, we come to you and we ask that you will forgive us afresh. And Father, won't you help us to just express our gratitude and our love in a free and open way, in a way that can truly honor you. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk